0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining the conversation, listening into the conversation yet again today. And I'm here with a new friend of mine, Trin. And you know what, Trin, will you pronounce your last name for us just so I make sure that we get it right?
1: It's Krasnowski, it's Polish. I marry a Polish husband.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just wanted to make sure that that I didn't ruin that. I have not so complicated a last name, but it but it gets kind of messed up sometimes. Holritz, I think, it has a Scandinavian. There's a Scandinavian background there, and it 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 gets sometimes it just gets destroyed. But uh, I always tell people just keep in mind Ritz, R I T Z, like Ritz crackers, like whole Ritz crackers. (laughs) so but i I beat
1: you on that one
0: (laughs) yeah well i I appreciate you making time for the book of podcast today and i'm really interested in our conversation in fact just in full disclosure to our listeners before we started recording we decided to go a little bit of a different direction in the conversation than originally planned and i i love that it's a little bit of a challenge for me as an interviewer but there's so much that we have to talk about and you were just kind of saying soundbite after soundbite. I wish we had recorded actually our, our, our pre-recording. Uh, it was so good. But we're going to get to all that stuff here in just a little bit. We're going to start out with something that we normally do here on the podcast called Technique for Time. And very simply, because so much of this podcast is about how to create freedom, flexibility for ourselves as business owners, I'm curious if there's something that you do in your day-to-day life, in your business or both, that helps create space for you. It gives you more time.
1: I pray for more time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I,
0: I use <laughs> well, I was gonna. If, if it was a serious comment, th- there's a certain importance, I guess, or significance that comes from self-awareness. When like you realize you need more time, so you're giving it attention. That would be good either way. But but please continue.
1: So I use a CRM. I have I created templates on there myself, and now my assistant helps me with answering emails and scheduling. Yeah. And all the little admin stuff. Um, I use a checklist app called Wonderless. Yes. And it syncs to my phone, my laptop, my emails. On there, I have to-do lists. I have shoots. I book shoots. I need to edit. Um, you know, all the tasks I need to do daily, monthly, yearly. My goals. I keep up with all my uh, low. I track my low finances on there to my budget. Wow. Uh huh. <laughs> and I have a Google Calendar that shows my availability to my team and my clients. And I. Um, block out time on the calendar for my husband and I or just me day you know
0: <laughs> absolutely well it, and and this is it has been a theme on the podcast uh, for some time now actually and, and it's a good thing the number of photographers or guests that that I've had on that have talked about the significance of of blocking time out uh, it is is obvious a thing is that might or behaviors that might seem to be not enough. Photographers or business owners are doing that. In fact, peep just people in general. It's so easy to say I'm busy and then just use that as kind of a cop out for not doing this thing or that. Blocking time off is really important. But I find it really interesting. First of all, Wonderlist is a, is an app that I've used quite a bit actually in the past. I've, I've since moved to a different app called Todoist. It's a task and project manager as well. But I I thought I was a hardcore Project management user or the tool user, um, but you said you even manage your your finances or financial goals in Wonderless. How do you go about that?
1: I I, am, I list what I spend daily so that I know what I'm spending on. You know, so Some, yeah. Sometimes I just tend to just spend and spend and spend, and then not ever look back and know what I spent it on. So a lot of financial advisors will advise you. You know, keep track of your spending monthly, yearly, daily, and you know exactly where your money went, so you don't have to ask, like, "Oh my gosh, where, where did my money go?" I have a list I divided up for personal and for business, so.
0: That's awesome. Well, again, to that idea of awareness, you know, just the simple idea of of writing it down can make that much of a difference in your behavioral patterns because now you're more aware, you're conscientious about what you're or how you're spending your money, and and hopefully that translates to to a, a healthier approach to spending. So that's really interesting. And then you mentioned a CRM. Is there a particular CRM that you really love?
1: I've been using Seventeen Hats for a long time since we first started. So okay. I grandfathered into one of those. Deal in the beginning, but it's improved a lot, and I love using it. And my assistant is on there, my team is on there, so I create all the projects for them on their to-do lists, calendars. It's really easy to use.
0: Well, and that's interesting that you say easy because I know that some, at least in the past, and and hopefully there's been enough CRM software improvements over the last few years that this isn't so much the case anymore. But I remember, and I won't mention names, but a particular studio management software that was quite popular for some time, that the biggest apprehension that people had to using this software, or even getting started with it in the first place, was the amount of time it took to to set things up. So to, to know that there's a resource like 17 Hats out there that's easier to set up is is really, really great. At the end of the day, though, it's, and I love that you're setting this example for our listeners, it's so important to invest, whether it's a little bit of time or even in some cases a lot of time up front into systems that then enable you to run your business efficiently, that does translate to more time. And uh, so thank you for sharing all of these things with us already. And and speaking of free time, how do you like to spend the free time that, that you gain in your life?
1: Currently, just relaxing at home. My husband and I both travel a lot for work. Okay. So being at home with my husband, working out together, or just going to the gym together. We don't actually work out together. <laughs> uh, practicing yoga. Yeah. I meditate every morning, <laughs> exploring new places around as like going to the beaches or check out new hiking trails. And recently, we're just starting to work on our backyard and garden. We um, bought our house a year and a half ago, and we just haven't been home much. So we're just starting on the yard now.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. So you travel a lot. Obviously, you for photography. Is your husband in the photography industry as well?
1: No, he's not. He's in a business development and business strategies for corporations.
0: Oh, uh, wow. Do, do you ever consult with him for your own business? All the time, like every day. <laughs> I mean, he,
1: he's, he's asking for a salary now. I'm I, I bet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. You mentioned meditation. I, I literally just had a conversation with a podcast guest about the topic of meditation. And I, I know we hadn't planned on this, but I'm really curious to get your perspective because I've found significant benefit from meditation myself. And you know, there's, there's a lot of apprehension because of cultural stereotypes around what meditation is uh, for people to actually even take advantage of meditation. I read a book that was just so impactful a, a number of years ago called The Untethered Soul uh, by a guy named Michael Singer. And, and he gave me really wonderful perspective about how to approach meditation, the thought process behind meditation. And I'd highly recommend it to any and all of those who are listening in. But Is there something that, you know, for somebody who's never tried meditation before for the sake of relaxation and mental clarity, something that they can do to get started effectively? And, and, you know, the stereotype is you got to clear your mind. And, of course, that's a bit of a misnomer. How do you approach meditation? How, How have you found it most effective for you?
1: Yeah, it's not about that. And at first, you know, I thought it was about that, too. And then you learn that it's not about that. It's about just being still and Hmm. accepting things as they are and just working on different aspects of your life, you know. And there's a few apps on iTunes if you want to download them. There's one called Breathe. Yeah. It's about our... B-R-E-E-T-H-E. Okay. And it has some good meditation lessons on there that you can follow follow along. Okay. Um, it's nice. It, you know, there's so much noise in our life. and Sometimes we just need to be still and accept the things the way they are, you know. The noises, even
0: it's true, and we're going to actually talk about noise in a little bit different context in just a bit. But um, when it comes to the idea of meditation, I, I love the way that you that you put that just to accept things as they are. And he actually Michael in his book that I just mentioned, he talks about the the idea of seeing you know rather than trying to clear your mind of thoughts, seeing the thoughts. And, and as yeah. you're saying, accept, essentially accepting them, seeing them for what they are, and then just simply seeing them out of your mind. And when you visualize that process, it really makes it easy to acknowledge them, to be present with them, and then just to let them go. And then the next thought comes to mind, because of course that's going to happen when you're sitting there in the quiet. And it, And it really is amazing how not only... I guess, therapeutic and soothing the process is, but ultimately how it brings a sense of calm, which of course is one of the goals with meditation. So that's, I I love your advice and your perspective on that. And I think more of us could stand, in fact, I could even stand certainly to do it more consistently, but there's major, major benefit there, especially as business owners. There's so much going on, so much noise, as you said, to have some mental clarity. So that's really, really great. So tell us something kind of random that most people don't know about you.
1: I swear on that. I am constantly seeking to improve myself, yeah. my life every day, you know, by reading, researching. I was a biochemist prior. I also worked in corporate, but i am always been curious. Um, I'll find ways to learn or no matter how busy i am i'll have a, a book on my phone or i'm researching something you know
0: well and <laughs> this asking
1: is, how people they do their how they got where they are how they do things yeah. right all the time yeah
0: <laughs> which is wonderful i think you know curiosity um not only drives growth but even just interesting conversation if we if we approach even somebody who we don't uh, and of course, it's always a, a generally anyway, a bad idea to make assumptions. But even when we don't assume that somebody has something that they can teach us or share with us that, that we have never heard before, we don't, we don't share a similar perspective, there's always an opportunity to learn. And if we just maintain that curious mentality, it's amazing that the fun experiences and fun conversations that we can have as a result. But you mentioned books on your phone. This is something that I do as well. What's, what's a book that you've read or are reading recently that you've found really impactful?
1: I have so many books downloaded. Let me let me go back to to my my list. Oh yeah, sure. I can go. Um, there's one called "Good to Great." Yes. And one work rules, building a story brand. <laughs>
0: That's you know I'm literally looking at that on my phone right now. That was a really powerful book.
1: It's great. The I'm reading some investing books. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. I like to read into different things. I want to learn more about. Of. You know, if I don't know something, I am going to research it. I'm going to learn it.
0: <laughs> I love that. Well, and we're in, we're in a day and an age where information is so easily and readily available, and uh, so there's really no excuse not to. And I kind of have scheduled uh, in my day even just 10 or 15 minutes for the sake of reading a chapter or a book or a section. In a book, just so that I'm consistently taking in information. That's that's the goal, anyway. And and I love that you do that. Uh, I have a lot of respect for that. And you mentioned, and this is, I think, a good segue into to my next question for you about your background, how you got into photography. You were a biochemist. You worked in the corporate world. How did you get into photography?
1: I actually always been shooting with a film camera since I was ten years old. I my mom's camera, and I used to dressed up my little baby sister who's now like 26 years old (laughs) and I would take her photos and have my mom develop the photos yeah (laughs) and um I uh five years ago I started the business full-time actually so and then I registered for the business five years ago so I think I officially got started five years ago
0: wow okay (laughs) So, so, the curious, I mean, photography as a profession came from just, we talked about curiosity earlier, curiosity about photography, in photography, shooting film. Did you have a particular film camera that you were using as a kid?
1: I still have it sitting on my shelves. I have a few little uh, 35 millimeter Mamiya, uh, Canon. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't remember what the ones I was using when I was a little kid. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's really great. I, and I know that the first film camera that I ever owned, I think it was a little point-and-shoot Nikon uh, that my parents gave to me, I want to say maybe right after, it was a graduation present from high school, if I remember correctly. But it was just a point and shoot. And of course, back in those days, you just, you take it to, to Walmart and the one hour photo and drop it off and, and get a, get a roll of film, develop the prints or ask for doubles. Of course, if you want to give them to your friends, yeah. those are the, the old days. Five
1: times, I, I them.
0: Oh man. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And that's why, so when I started in professional photography, I shot weddings for about 10 years and I, I started on 35 millimeter film and then later went to medium format and also shot panoramic photos all on film and yeah exactly you have to you'd have prints made and then eventually you'd go to to scanning i i used to provide clients with a panoramic photo on textured art paper mounted like a really beautiful finished print as kind of a gift to them uh, from their wedding day and I would shoot it with this Russian panoramic film camera, and it, it shot 35 millimeter film. It would just take up two frames instead of one when you shot a frame. And so I'd, I'd shoot those on the wedding day. I'd take the film, have it developed, and I'd have them scan low-res scans, pick the image that I wanted to ultimately give to the client. They do a high-res scan, then you do the touch-up work, and and then uh, have it printed and delivered. So it was this whole process. But uh, And I know we're going to get into a, a bit of f- film photography, the conversation around film photography in just a little bit bit but uh, yeah that process is it it was a little bit tedious but there's something fun too about being able to look forward to seeing those images when they finally came out
1: yeah you appreciate it so much more (laughs) and while you're taking it you're taking your time to craft it too versus like just clicking really fast it's
0: so true yeah, you can't shoot 3000 images without going broke, right? When you're shooting film. Yeah, it, and, yeah. and photographers these days are, are just shooting like crazy. It's 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 so time consuming. As easy as it is to push that button, it can be so time consuming in the back end and post production. Um, so it's yeah, easy. you're right. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There is something about taking your time and with an individual image, and and I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I have a a Yashica twin lens medium format camera that I've really enjoyed just putting on a tripod and taking my time. Of course, the the whole process is manual, setting shutter speed and aperture, and I've got this little shutter release, kind of old school shutter release. A uh, cable that I can hook up to it. You're looking down through the top of the, the camera setting the oh, shot up.
1: Cool. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. It's
0: so therapeutic. But yeah, I love that process. I, I think that's really, really great. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your process, especially when it comes to fine art film photography here in just a little bit. But you mentioned being in business five years. So I'm curious, what's one of the toughest lessons that you've learned in that span of time?
1: I think the list is quite long, but I think uh, the few top ones would be finding the right people to work with. Okay. Or work for you, with you. Yes. Learning for me, learning to delegate and to let go has been hard for me. And i uh, uh, finding the right people to delegate things to. Um, I'm a perfectionist and borderline OCD. So, <laughs> but I learned that you either spend time, ty- money to buy time, or mm. trade time for money. And my husband always advised me that my time is worth more doing what I'm good at and yeah. paying someone else yep. for what they are good at. Uh, like my website designer, Ryan.
0: Props to Ryan, by the way. We're going to talk about your website here in just a little bit, but he, he did a beautiful job. It's so true. Yeah, delegate to others who specialize in that particular activity.
1: And my friend, Jenny Soy, who is a photographer in San Francisco area, she recommended uh, Photographer's Edit to me. And that's how I found you.
0: <laughs> well, and thanks to her as well. And and thanks for the, the shout out for Photographer's Edit. For those of you who are listening in, you may have heard. Uh, photographers that it mentioned in the intro, uh, we offer custom editing for wedding and portrait photographers. And uh, you talk about time. I mean, that is probably, editing is probably the biggest time suck for professional photographers. You know, eight, 10, 12, 16, 20 hours editing. For those of you shooting digitally anyway, editing a wedding can be just exhausting. And so we we help save photographers time in that realm. But that's that's really great. And I'm glad that you point out the importance of delegation. Uh, for the sake of time, because that that time we can't get back. We can ultimately make more money. We can't get the time back. And creating that space for ourselves, not only for our personal lives, like we were talking about earlier, but so that we also have time to invest in our business, to do things that will actually grow our business. It's so so important. Uh, I'm curious about your photography brand. Do you? How do you set yourself apart from other photographers? There's so many wedding photographers. And to to be distinct can be a, a bit of a challenge. But what's your photography business's brand position? Trin. <laughs> <laughs> ex- no. Explain what you mean by that, because I, I think I know where you're going.
1: Natural, simple, and lux- luxury. I ingrained those three things into my images and service without having to say it.
0: Ooh! Without Um, having to say it. Okay, so this is a great segue into the question that I normally ask, which is how do you communicate this brand position to clients? But you're saying you kind of do that, uh, I guess, ultimately through the images?
1: Through the images and the service that I provide from the beginning to the end. I keep everything very consistent from my work to my service. My photographs are consistent in colors, contrast, highlight, exposure, the styling that I help with. My client, for my clients, uh, I do for my clients. I make, I make the clients feel that they are always priority. You, uh, you know, you go to a doctor, you want to feel that you're cared for, right? Yes. And So, you come to me for photos. You want to know that you're cared for. Your on my top of my list. You walk into a Four season That's how they make you feel. Luxury uh, service. I want them. I want. I'm there for them, and I make sure that. They are well prepared to be in the shoots or the wedding day or their baby photo shoot. Uh, and I make sure the process is simple and clear that they're not confused about anything.
0: Wow, this is I mean, we we could pretty much stop the podcast right there. and, And our listeners would have really great valuable information to take away from the conversation. But when you in order to get to provide this level of service, do you tend to minimize the number of clients that you take on in a year? How do you manage to provide that experience consistently to everyone?
1: Oh, absolutely. I only take a max of 12 weddings a year. Okay. I only take a max of two newborn shoots a week and sometimes maybe only two or three a month, depending on how much traveling I'm doing for weddings. So I know my year, I know my schedule and I have to put to limit the number of shoots to provide the quality of service, even though the price is a little higher. Um, that's just the way it is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, there's a whole, really a whole different episode worth of conversation here regarding photographing for a higher end client, kind of minimizing the number of shoots, but focusing uh, your attention and effort and energy on the experience for each of those, uh, I say shoots, clients, whether it's an event client or a portrait client. Uh, There is a, you know, only about 5% of the weddings photographed in the U S are shot for anywhere above four grand. Um, The next 10 to 15% or so from the two to four range. And then the bottom 70% or so of weddings. And I say bottom, I don't mean that to come across negatively, but that the lower end of, of weddings shot for $2,000 and less, are that, that bigger 70% or so of the market. And so, if we're going to charge, knowing that most people can only afford, say, two grand for a wedding, if we're going to charge more than that, we have to create an experience that's worthy of that price point. And at least if we're going to, if we expect to get any kind of other business referrals from these clients, we also have to focus on that experience. And I love that you prioritize that. Is there, is there something that I mean has this been how you've approached the business since day one? Did you kind of learn along the way the significance of of creating that really incredible experience?
1: I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning of my days, and you know I was in those groups online and I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was new in the industry. I didn't go to university for this. I didn't have. I don't have a, a master's degree or in photography or running a photography business. No, I don't know if they even teach that in school. Um, <laughs> huh. But I had to learn along the way, and I had to listen to myself and bringing all my experience that I had from working for other corporations and uh, businesses. And incorporate into mine versus like listening to what other photographers that don't really know what they're doing and telling me what I should do, should not do, lower my prices, do this and that. And, you know, it's a lot of noises when, when you have so much noise, you aren't listening to your own voice, you know? So sometimes you have to drown those out in order to listen to your own voice, which no one knows the business more than I do because it's my business. So
0: Well, that's a great point. So first of all, I mean, just understanding what it is that that you're wanting out of your business is going to then or should then direct how you spend your time, how you run that business and what you're learning, the education that you're putting yourself through, especially with the books that you're reading and any other information you're taking in should reflect that business model. And uh, so I think that's, again, a really great advice, example for our listeners. And I love that you that you pointed out that you're not necessarily going to listen to other photographers. You're looking to learn from other businesses in general that work. And I think that's really important to keep in mind as well. All right. So this is a good segue into a conversation that you and I were having actually a little bit earlier before we started recording about the significance of minimalism, specifically regarding your website. And, and I have to give you props again, beautiful website, very minimalist approach, but you spoke to the significance of that minimalism when it comes to minimizing noise in your potential clients' lives. Can you can you comment on that a little bit more?
1: Yes, people nowadays are bombarded with information all day everywhere they turn, TV, Facebook, Instagram, they go on so many websites and they're navigating to so many places. I've been on some websites where I have no idea where anything is. Like I'm navigating around and suddenly you only have about three minutes or so of a, a person's attention span when they're on your website. I have my Google Analytics and they click out, you know, they're not interested, they're done. Yeah. So you want to make things brief and to the point and clean and clear.
0: Well, and, and you, we are in a, a scrolling society. So I, it, that's so important that we don't bombard them with just an inordinate amount of text that they have to scroll through to get the information they need too, right?
1: Yeah, it makes them work harder to get to trying to find what they need. And in their brain is like, it's too hard. They're just, they're out, you know, they're, they have harder, other difficult things in life.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And uh, I think it's a side note, but it's an important one. I wanted to bring it up because I think it's really important for all of our listeners as they either are getting ready to build a website or maybe you're considering modifying, updating their website, that they keep the significance of minimalism in mind. Focus on the imagery. Make sure that you have your messaging really dialed in so it doesn't take a lot of words to communicate what your brand's about and the service that you offer. And it'll translate to a better experience for your clients and potential clients. I think it's really important. Um, I, I want to I mentioned earlier, that we're going to be talking about film photography. And to kind of open up that conversation, I'm curious what's in your gear bag? What's a favorite piece of camera equipment that you're using these days?
1: Um, I have a few Contact 645. I hoard them because they no longer make them. Yeah. <laughs> so, in case something happens to one, I have a few backups. And with that, I use a um, 80 millimeters lens that goes with it, and I have another one that's 140. I hardly use that unless it's on a wedding day. Um, I use a Canon Mark III still. I know I don't replace things unless it's broken, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, of some course. of the equipment that, uh, well, and to your point, especially with the, with the film cameras, there's really little reason to replace them. They're, they're made well and you take care of them. You can use them for a long time, but even, I mean, I still remember the, the first digital camera when I was making the transition from film to digital, I started shooting with a Nikon D1X and uh, it was less than six megapixels. The dynamic range was terrible, but you could get a beautiful, beautiful 20 by 30 print out of it easily if, if you photographed it well. Right. So, yeah. so this kind of obsession with photographers these days and constantly upgrading their equipment. I know that I could still shoot. I wouldn't want to necessarily, but I, I could still shoot with that camera that's you know, 10, 12 years old and still get decent images out of it if I'm careful with it. So I think it's a good point that you make.
1: And it took some time to minimize my equipment too. I'm constantly trying to clean out what I don't need you yeah. know, and selling it. Or I, I used to keep it all for a long time thinking I'll need it, but I never used more than... The 50 millimeter for weddings. I have the 85 millimeter, 100 millimeter, and a 200 millimeter. I'm all about prime lens. I used to have a few zoom lenses, but I love the primes more.
0: Yes, I think it follows that kind of minimalist approach to life that you take, and I and I love that. I love I, I, the 50 is still my favorite because it's so small and yet so powerful um, and relatively inexpensive too. Especially the 51.4s. you can right. you can get just stunning images out of that, that simple little lens. So I think that's really great. You mentioned medium format too. And I'm curious what percentage, I know that you're shooting a lot of film. Maybe you can kind of share what percentage of, of your work is film, but then what percentage of it is medium format as well?
1: I roughly 75% film and 25% digital. Okay. Or wedding. it really depends on what I'm shooting and, and what it is, it's like using the right paintbrush to paint a painting. Um, about maybe 50% medium format and then the rest 35 millimeter. I use more 35 millimeter for personal work and then some photojournalistic uh, shots during weddings.
0: Yeah. Do, yeah. do you find that your couples are relatively, I mean, in, in a day where you know, we were talking about kind of the scrolling culture, people are relatively impatient. They don't have a lot of time, the time that it takes to set up a shot, a medium format image photograph at times anyway can be it can be a little bit time consuming do your clients tend to be pretty patient with that process knowing what they're going to get on the other end of that
1: they don't really question me okay they don't care how I do things as long as they get the results that they see on my website
0: yes I love that
1: they don't ever they kind of like the break that I give them when I'm changing my film you know they get a little bit of room to breathe to relax a little bit Mm -hmm. you know Instead of shooting, 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 they get tired. So they get some room to breathe. And I shoot pretty fast and I change my film pretty fast. So it's, they, sometimes they don't even know that I'm shooting with film.
0: Well, and you know what? Speaking of film, I have to, to mention here as a, a side note, but not really a side note, because our listeners are going to want to go take some time and scroll through your Instagram accounts. First of all, trend T-R-Y-N-H, photo, is is one of the accounts, and uh, and then also Trend Studio, T R Y N H Studio, is the other account you're going to want to go take a look at. Your, your work, and, and Trin, I was telling you this before we started recording, but your work is just gorgeous. Uh, but you also spoke to the consistency in which you present your work to your clients or potential clients. And for those of you listening, and if you scroll through these Instagram accounts, you'll see the consistency and tonality that Trin is talking about. And uh, it's, it's really beautiful and, and frankly, quite enviable as well. So major props to you for that.
1: I, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't really update it that much. I try to. And then sometimes I fall off and I'll get back on again, but it's fun. You know, I like, I like expressing myself in creative ways. So I don't take it too seriously online. It's just trying to keep it fun for my client.
0: Well, and I love that you make it about the client in the end, but, but your, your work really is gorgeous. So those of you listening in, make sure you go take a look uh, at those Instagram accounts that I m- just mentioned. But I'm curious, what? why has film become such a focus for you or a passion for you? What drives that?
1: I, like I said, I've always shot on film and digital was a new thing for me that I had to learn. But it ended up going back to film. I, it's just, I feel like it's so much easier to shoot with film. I only have to think about one, two, three, two things versus on the digital, I have to think about like so many um, technical things i love the photos that i i can create with the film the the colors the depth the something that digital cameras and presets can't replicate no matter how how hard i try or how many uh, presets are made out there I, I even created my own presets i also just love the skin tone that's consistent yeah. um, as well as keeping all the lighting situation consistent throughout the day you have so many different kinds of lighting all day um, and with film, I'm able um, to keep that consistent and without having to edit in Lightroom and Photoshop forever. And so I spend way less time editing with film because the lab does most of the work for me. Yeah. And we, we worked together for last few years to develop my colors and settings and everything. So I end up just sorting through the photos and only trash a few that I don't like. It's, um, my keep rate is pretty high. So
0: I love that. And do you mind mentioning the lab that you're using?
1: I use Photo Vision in uh, Oregon, tax
0: free. Okay. Wow, <laughs> even better! That's wonderful. And and as far as shooting film, you know, I mean, it, it seems kind of like a, a trendy thing right now. But I think uh, on a more serious note, and and what's quite interesting, especially about the approach that you're taking, is that you're actually differentiating yourself from the market yet again. While while we may hear a lot about photographers who are interested in film these days or are applying, uh, as you were saying earlier, a, a Lightroom preset, a film style preset to their images, at the end of the day, there are only so many photographers who are gonna be willing to take the time, make the effort to actually shoot in film, especially the majority of their work in film. And so you're naturally setting yourself apart from the market or from your so-called competition. And so I think that's really, really cool. And it's something for our listeners uh, to kind of keep in mind as well. Uh, you mentioned something earlier to me, uh, which is fine art, the phrase fine art photography. And I know this is a, a focus for your business, um, that the quality, the style, ultimately the process that you're offering to potential clients. It's a phrase that's, that's kind of thrown around a good bit. And uh, so I'm curious, as we kind of dive into this, dig into this a little bit, if you'll define what fine art photography means to you and to your brand.
1: Um to me I feel like it's the artwork that comes behind the photos the preparation the styling uh the work of the florists the designs of the wedding planners um all the creatives together creating this piece of artwork that's shown in my photographs it's not just me without them my photographs aren't possible the dresses the makeup the hair the every little detail you know and also the aesthetic that comes along with uh, fine art is soft, it's warm, it's light, it's airy. It's fun. It's It portrays easy and fun and lifestyle, but it's uh, I call it directed photojournalism. It's uh, slightly directed, but it looks natural, quote unquote. A lot of my clients come to me and ask me, I don't like to post in photos. Can you make yeah. me look natural?
0: Yep. You know, I, I was just having a conversation with a photographer who differentiated between posing and guiding, and I I love that distinction because at the end of the day, most of these clients likely aren't comfortable or extremely comfortable in front of the camera, and so at, at least a little bit of direction helps, right?
1: Yes, yes, and integrating, I I get to know them and and uh, incorporate their personalities with you know there's the scenery and and to to make the the images distinct to them you know just creating that piece of art just for them and um that incorporating the angle colors focus the distance the light the everything exposure space um
0: making it distinct to them uh, you you mentioned the significance of prep earlier and so i'm curious what this process looks like are you taking quite a bit of time to interview the couple ahead of time so that you get to know who they are at a deeper level. So that then translates to the way that you photograph them.
1: Uh, We get to know each other a little bit. And as time goes on, you know, they, I I look at maybe they'll add me on social media and I kind of scroll through and kind of get a sense of their style or talk to them a little bit. I get a sense of, I used to be in sales. So I, kind of can read people's tone of voice or the way they act and react to certain questions. Yeah. That way I know how, who they are a little bit and, and some And incorporate that into
0: their photos. There's something to be said for you know. I mean, it's it's important to, uh, or at least understand the significance Mm -hmm. for photographers, for artists, to be to be creating work that is a reflection of them, of their personality, of their their passion and their desire when it comes to the photographic world, the photographic art. Uh, But understanding our clients' empathy is is extremely important, and then making the time, the effort to get to know them well enough uh, to be able to then truly empathize with them and let that translate to the work, I think is something to consider, especially for newer photographers who aren't used to this type of interaction. Uh, You know, a lot of photographers will speak to being introverts. And while I understand their their sentiment. I think it's important to understand the significance at the same time of making the effort to engage with with these clients at a level that enables us to to create re- really beautiful artwork where we're actually capturing their personality, who they are. Even as you said earlier, the way that we're composing the photos let let who they are translate into the way that we're even putting those images together. So that's a really interesting point of in conversation. The other thing that you mentioned was the the creatives, how the creatives involved in that wedding day help make your work and uh, that's very gracious of you to say and I'm curious if you can kind of elaborate on that a little bit are you working with the same companies most of the time do you have conversations with them ahead of time so that you're all kind of on the same page what does that look like
1: some of the wedding designers are like interior designers that come in and transform your house and design your space and decorate your house that's what a wedding designer does at for a wedding venue or space versus just a planner. There are almost two different things. Sometimes a planner can logistically plan things and bring tables and chairs and flowers for your wedding, but they don't necessarily know how to make that space prettier or unique designing that space particularly. So it's not that it looks aesthetically well in photographs from every angle. You maximizing the use of that space by incorporating things into that space to to make it look better, um, you know, versus just using a Pinterest board that a sends to them and say, oh, yeah, I can get all these things for you. Yeah, and that's just it there.
0: absolutely that's that's interesting. So having and of course, not every photographer is familiar with with the experience of having a wedding designer on board. Uh, is that? I mean, is that something that they can, they can kind of consult with the client on to encourage that process? Uh, are there ways that a photographer can help kind of set the scene so that, that they're getting the type of images that, that our listeners are going to be able to see in your Instagram account?
1: Yes. I mean, there are a lot of talented wedding designers, planners out there, and you just have to look for them. You, you know, uh, you can see it in their work. They've been published in all the magazines and, and everywhere. So you can find
0: them. Yeah, making those connections are important. And we've talked about this so many times on the podcast before, but the significance of, of relationships, particularly in wedding photography, in the industry, they really help drive a business. I mean, that was certainly the case for uh, my wedding photography business and it, it, it's we really can't skirt the significance of relationships these days and and this is something that we've also talked about a lot in the podcast it's easy these days just to kind of sit around on social media making the actual effort to get out and connect with wedding vendors in the area for the sake of the opportunity ultimately to be able to do business with them to collaborate with them as you shared Trin, I think is really really important I're we're, we're just barely scratching the surface around this topic of fine art photography and, and in some cases is more specifically fine art wedding photography. But you're actually going to be offering a workshop later this year, delving into this in in way, way more detail than we even have the time to today. Will you share a little bit about that workshop, some of the details?
1: Yes, it will be in Malibu, California at a pretty well-known venue. Uh, I'm, I'm new to Southern California right now. Uh, it's called Rocky Oaks. And I partner up uh, with another great photographer, Lucy Munoz. She's also based here in Southern California. We have a wedding designer planner, uh, Amarology, Heather at Emerology, who's been designing and planning weddings for uh, 15 years.
0: Wow.
1: Um, she's very well published in almost every magazine you you see. She's I think she's recently was in Martha Stewart. Uh, we have Rachel from Siren Floral. She's an amazing florist, designs with high-end flowers and um, beautiful flowers. And she's great at marketing and branding as well. Uh, maybe she'll share some of her tips. And we have Sarah Love, who she's the former editor at The Knot. And she'll talk about how to get published and review your portfolio and Lucy and I will offer our experience and knowledge as well as some technical aspects of shooting with film and running a profitable business.
0: Oh, and you know, you mentioned that running a profitable business is a side note at the end there, but I'm so glad that you guys are, are creating time and space for that very topic because um, while it's nice to have a workshop where photography is an emphasis, at the end of the day, we still have to run a profitable business if we ha- if we hope to make a living at this. And, uh, and it seems like you're quite the organized individual when it comes to your business and your finances. So I'm I'm sure it'll be great to hear your perspective on that topic. And I appreciate you sharing this information. If We'll actually link to this in the show notes. For those of you listening in, I mentioned Trend's website earlier, trend, T-R-Y-N-H, photo.com. And if you go to trendphoto.com slash workshop, you'll see more details about this workshop that's going to happen there In Southern California. By the way, if you've never photographed in Southern California, I actually went to a photography workshop in Southern California years ago. And one of the most memorable experiences there, living, I mean, I currently and at the time lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee. While it has, there are wonderful aspects about Chattanooga, one of the things that is significantly different than Southern California is the light. And I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but I was absolutely stunned. One day we went out in the middle of the day uh, in just harsh, very, very bright sunlight, but beautiful weather nonetheless. And we had a bride on the, on the beach and sun is just glaring overhead. And shooting actually with that camera that I mentioned earlier, the Nikon D1X, which has just terrible dynamic range. And, and, it, and it didn't help me in the type of light that we have here in Chattanooga. But they're on the beach, middle of the day, and I'm shooting in aperture priority. So this camera is doing its own work. And every single image uh, is coming out just perfectly exposed. The, the bride's dress is not getting blown out. It's amazing the kind of light that you have there in Southern California to photograph in.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful here. I even noticed the difference when I moved from NorCal to here from San Francisco. Yeah. Um, it, it's a different kind of light. It's beautiful. You guys have to come back.
0: I would absolutely love to. And you know, one more question about your workshop too, because I know photographers are hearing a lot about workshops. I'm curious what sets yours apart from other workshops? What makes yours different from other photography workshops out there?
1: I think I read, I mean, Lucy and I both met at a workshop once uh, a few years ago. And that's how we know each other yeah. and we are going to cover things that wasn't covered there and we pay a, a lot of money for it and um I think when I first started out I wish I could have afforded a workshop you know and by the time I did I was already, already I already made a lot of mistakes I had to learn from and of course the workshop we went to was beautiful we loved it but uh, we feel that I mean, we're, we're going to cover some uh, more of the beginning uh, things for, for photographers who are looking to whether they are wanting to learn more about film or sh- starting to shoot with film or want to shoot with film. We'll cover from the beginning. You know, uh, a lot of workshops are about artistry and, of course, evolving your business and everything. And uh, I will be covering... Uh, getting to destination weddings, or starting over a new market, which I had to do a year ago, and um, business development, and sales and marketing.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's something to be said for experiences that translate to, um, I, I guess, an opportunity to create something even better. Uh, and, and so being at it, and I've been to plenty of Conferences, workshops, uh, individual classes, where I walked away and felt like there was a lot missing. And um, but instead of kind of focusing on that, I I love that you guys have ultimately taken your experience and translated that into creating something that is going to be more inclusive as far as the the information. And it sounds like you're covering just a really, really wide gamut of of information. This isn't just simply a shooting workshop, and, and I love that. So again, we'll link to the workshop in the show notes. For those of you listening in, if you just go to bocapodcast.com, you'll be able to see the show notes for this episode today with Trin, and we'll link to the workshop there. Make sure you check it out. It's coming up in October, October 24th and 25th. And you're going to want to get the details there on on the website. Trin, thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast today. Just in closing, will you just share, I know we've mentioned it kind of across our conversation, but will you reiterate where our listeners can find you online, your website and social media as well?
1: My website is trinphoto.com. It's T-R-Y-N-H photo.com. And all my social media are on the links there, and it's all under trend photo on uh, Instagram, Facebook. I don't update those things much, so.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again for, for making time to share with us today. I'm I'm truly impressed with your work and uh, your work ethic, your business mind, and uh, it's, it's a privilege to have you share some of that information with our listeners and of course, ultimately to give them the opportunity to be able to learn even more in person at the workshop. But uh, thank you again for making time for the Boca podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Nathan. It was so nice talking
0: to you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.